spirit and so on. But there's one thing I can guarantee that every single Christian can agree on is that Jesus died on a cross. And why he died was to set us free from sin. But I have a question for you this morning. And it's this, and this is the title of the message. What really happened at the cross? We, We know Jesus died a physical death. But there's something else that was taking place in the background that we don't always know about. And it's just as significant as anything else in the gospel message. So that's what I want to get into this morning. And I feel like God wants to speak a word. And especially I want to say this at the beginning. For those that are battling right now with anything in life, with any sickness, with any anxiety, I want to give you a message of hope this morning. Something that you can hold on to that will fight the good fight. But that's at the end. It's like the dessert bit, that is. So, Nick, can you get some... I have got a few scriptures this morning, if that's okay. And if I can go from New King James to then NLT, the New Living Translation. So the first one in the New King James is uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And I want to show you something that takes place. And this goes back from the beginning, when God gave Israel certain commandments. And we know this scripture, and I've shared this scripture many times. Where it says this, 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I've shared that many times, and I normally focus on the second part, which is powerful. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. But this morning I want to show you what the first part means. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That means that on the cross, and again I've said this many times, Jesus didn't just take our sin, he became sin. So if you keep that in mind, and then you follow the rule of the Bible, if you know anything about sin, sin causes something called spiritual death. Think about what God said to Adam and Eve in the beginning in the garden. Don't eat from the, the, the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat from that tree, you will surely... But did they die physically? So what God is referring to is a spiritual death. That's crucial to understand what Paul is about to say in Romans 7, verse 9. And can this one be the New Living Translation, Nick? So bear in mind... Even from right in the beginning, God said if you eat from the tree, you will surely die. Straight from the beginning, he's referring to something called spiritual death. Now this is what Paul says. At one time I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life. Now the next verse. And I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Now if you go back to verse 9, notice what it says. When Paul began to understand the law, look at the last part. It says, the power of sin came to life. So what's the power of sin? 1 Corinthians 15, 56. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Okay, 
So now what Paul is trying to say is that without the law, there is no sin. So it's the law that has a demand. If you break the law, there's a penalty. That penalty is spiritual death. You with me? Now Galatians 4 verse 4. Can you get to that one, Nick? That can be in any translation that you choose. It says the same thing. Just long as long as in Greek. So watch this. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. So let's put all this together. And I want you to just use your imagination right now. I'm hoping this comes across as one of them Hollywood movie scenes where it's like, <gasps> you know, that moment. It probably won't. If the Bible says when Jesus was on the cross that he became sin, right? And that he was born under the law, so he was subject to the law. And the law demands spiritual death. Then what does that actually mean when Jesus was on the cross? Think about it. If Jesus was born under the law, and the law is the power of sin, and Jesus became sin, then that means not only did he die physically, but he should have died spiritually. But I've got some good news for you this morning. This is what really happened at the cross. When spiritual death came to take Jesus, he couldn't touch him. Because it was met by something more powerful. Can I show you what that thing was? What that more powerful was? And it's Romans 8 verse... If we start at 3, Nick. This is powerful. Listen to this. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control. What was sin's control? What is the power of sin? Now the law. Remember? 1 Corinthians 15, 56. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. It uses the same word control in the NLT version of that, that scripture. So sin's control is the law. So God declared an end to the law over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. How did the law lose its control? Look at the next verse. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. Wow. Now, the New King James changes the word just to righteous. So it reads as the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Let me break that down in two points. First of all, to understand the law had a requirement. And the only way you could end the system of the law is if that requirement was met. And that requirement was perfect righteousness. That is the only way the law can ever be overcome. There was a demand. There was a penalty to pay if you break it. Spiritual death. Jesus becomes sin on the cross. He was born under the law. Spiritual death was coming to take him. And when he got there, he couldn't touch him. He couldn't even arm a head, a head, a hair on his head, right? Because 
it met righteousness. You see, the thing about Jesus on the cross was although he became sin, notice he doesn't say sinner. He who knew no sin. So he became the perfect sacrifice for sin that would end sin's control. The righteous requirement. Now, not only was the law met, it was fully satisfied. And on that day, the law could do nothing to Jesus because he'd fulfilled it. He was perfect righteousness. And he defeated spiritual death on that day. Now that is massive in our Christian faith. Because majority of us only ever focus on the physical death of Jesus. Now I'm not taking that away. He had to die because it was in his death that he overcame death. And then what we do is we skip three days and then we go to the resurrection which is powerful. Our Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. Amen? Amen. But I want you to notice a word in the scripture. Can you go back to the NLT, Nick? Can you notice a word? It says why the righteous requirement was met. Who was it for? Wow. Even in that moment when Jesus was fighting with sin and death, it was for us. Now I want to show you something that took place of how that became available to us during the three days where the Bible says in Ephesians it says that Jesus ascended. Right? And it says, but if he ascended, it also means that he descended into the lower parts of the earth. Now we know that Jesus went into Hades, you can call it hell. It's another word, Hades hell. And we know that when he went in there, he took the keys off Satan. And Ephesians also says that he led captivity captive. He led the captives free. Amen? Amen. Something else took place when he was in there, when he was in Hades. And I want to show you. Nick, can you put up um, 1 Peter 3.18? Again in the NLT. So 1 Peter 3.18 Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. Just to prove my point that Jesus never died spiritually, what does it say in the next line? He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. The reason why I want to make that point just quickly, and I ain't going to make too much of a point, is there's actually a teaching called the JDS teaching. It stands for Jesus died spiritually. Now I ain't one to judge, and I've done some research. I'm no Bible scholar. But there's some top preachers that if I said the names you would recognise them who they were. And I don't know all the internet, so I ain't saying here judging them. But they actually teach, they believe, that in because Jesus went into Hades and he was raised to life in the spirit, it must mean that he died in the spirit. But I can't agree with that teaching. Because if he died in the spirit, how did the Bible say that he became a life-giving spirit? And Peter says he died physically, but he was raised to life in the spirit. If he died in the spirit, 
That means he would have lost his righteousness at the cross. And that never happened. Because it was the very righteousness that defeated sin, death and the law on the cross. Amen? Amen. So now we come to this part right now. What's the next verse? This is what Jesus was doing when he was in Hades. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Whoa. So he's on the cross. He becomes sin. He's got perfect righteousness. Spiritual death is coming for him. He says, no, not today. I'm overcoming you. He walks into Hades. He says to the devil, give me the keys. I'm sitting. The captives free. Oh, and why I'm here, let me preach the gospel to the spirits that are in prison. Now, just to say, right, there's two ideas of who these spirits are. If you go to the next verse, I don't want to read all of it, but basically the next verse talks about it's the people in Noah's day when the flood came. So my simple thinking, which is very simple, well, surely then that means it's the people that died in the flood and there are only eight survivors, so that's thousands upon thousands of people. They must be the spirits that's locked in prison. But there's another theory that... Certain scholars believe that they're not people, but they are actually fallen angels or demons. And what they're actually referring to is that, you know, in, in, in Genesis is it 4, where it talks about the flood. And it says that the sons of God. I can't remember the saying, but it's the, it refers to as the sons of God went with the, the daughters of, of, of men. It's referring to this thing called Nephilim, that they're fallen angels. And then what happened to those, that the, the one, 2 Peter 2.15, I believe, says that they were thrown into judgment, those angels were, for the sin they committed at the beginning. So I want to make a point for two theories, because I, I don't know which one it is yet, and I can't decide why I'm preaching. And I like both, and I think it's both. So Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth, and the Bible says he let the captives free. So he's still preaching the gospel even when he's in Hades. Even before the resurrection, the, pre- the gospel is still being preached. But if the second theory is true, then what you could do, I suppose, if he's preaching to fallen angels and demons, is he, why would Jesus be preaching to them? They have no need for salvation. They are in eternal judgment. So there's another word translated for the word preached, which is proclaim. So if that's true, that means Jesus walked into Hades and he was proclaiming a message. And I want to show you what that message was. Can you go to Romans 8 verse 2? So Romans 8 verse 2. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. I believe that what Jesus was proclaiming to the fallen angels, to the demons, to the darkness, to, to the to, to devil himself, was, I've just defeated death. No longer will you take my people. Think of it this way. Go back to the um, Passover in the Old Testament, when they came out of Egypt, and, and God said, put the blood on the doorposts. And when the angel passes by, when he sees the blood, he will pass over the house. Remember? So the blood is significant in the spirit realm. Jesus has just shed his blood on the cross. So he has the blood for salvation. And I believe he was proclaiming the gospel message 
So all of these beings, these spirit beings, I've just defeated death on the cross. I've took the keys off Satan. And now because of my blood, salvation is about to be released into the earth. And there's nothing you can do about it. Let me, let me prove my point. Hebrews 2, 14. I may have even made that up. Now I got it right. So look at this. Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. He's talking about a spiritual death that the devil had power over. And Jesus came and broke the devil's power in his own death on the cross. And he proclaimed the message in Hades so that every spirit being knew who the king was. And when spiritual death came for him, couldn't touch him. And then we come the resurrection. And Jesus raises from the dead. And salvation is given to all men. What is the message of hope in that? It's going back to Romans 8 verse 2. I understand that our battles are real. I understand that people in the church have had bad news. What do you do in their moments when you've got faith on one hand and then you've got life-threatening illnesses on the other hand or you've got struck with anxiety or you've got emotions because of your past of brokenness and then you come to the message of the cross and you're in a battle because it's I believe in the message of the cross but there's something in me that won't let me get hold of that faith and put all of myself into it to have that life-giving spirit to proclaim the righteousness of Jesus but I think it's Romans 8 verse 2 it's where it says that now we have been set free from sin and death. So here's my message of hope. Jesus has already won the victory. That does not mean you will never face battles. It means he's given you a message, a hope, like an anchor, that every morning we wake up. I'm asking us to start this as a church. Not saying that you don't already do it. But let's start this as a church. Every morning, we have the day, we have our battles, we have our anxiety, we have dodgy family members that we've got to deal with. We have people that want to curse us and offend us. And want to punch them in the face. But what can we do that gives us a hope to stand firm on the foundation of our faith? Jesus, whatever I'm battling today, you defeated death on the cross. And because of that, I have victory over sin and death. You no longer control me. You no longer dictate my life and who I am. God says who I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And that same righteousness that defeated the devil has been given to you. Now I want to leave you with a hope in a promise that God has given us. And that promise is, and then I promise I will leave you. <laughs> The last one. Last scripture, Nick. Thank you. Romans 4, verse 20. This is going back to talk about a man in the Old Testament called Abraham. 
And I want you to notice what it says. Because this is what I believe God's about to release over us as a church. Over people who are struggling right now. This gospel message is not a message that was left at the cross. It is alive today. And it is just as powerful. Not just to human beings that need Jesus and need the salvation. But to every evil spirit being that's trying to attack us. You already lost the battle. Now God's about to release something else because of the cross. Are you ready? So I'll finish on this. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. Next one. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Next one. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. This is something in Christian theology that's called the righteousness of faith. You believe in God. He counts your faith as righteous. That theology now is, you believe in Jesus. He transfers or imputes his righteousness to you. Before you earn it. Before you do anything to change your life, to be a better Christian. The moment you believe in Jesus, you become the righteousness of God. Now go back a verse, Nick. What did Abraham do? Can you put that in the New King James? And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. That's the word I want to release over you this morning. God's about to perform his promises. You have promises spoken over your life that maybe you haven't experienced yet. What was Tim's message last week? Are you experiencing what you believe? There is a moment where we have to go from believing to experiencing. And the Bible says that Abraham was fully convinced that whatever promise God made to him, he would also perform. Now look at this. Before Abraham received the promise, his faith was counted as righteousness. So if I can believe that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ before I receive any other promise in my life, I'm also going to believe, God, you can do whatever you've promised. You're going to do what you've promised. I believe, I believe for us as a church that God is about to release, not just release his promises and encourage you for the day, like the word for today, which is awesome. But we've got to go from the promise to now experiencing that believing God's going to perform it. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. And I want us to stand on that because, you know, we're a family as a church. And we've got to come together in love and say that if one of our... Kim, do you mind if I say that? I don't want to put you on the spot. So look, Kim's had news, right? Everybody's aware that you might have cancer. Have they confirmed that? Or have you still got to go for... Now, when, when I, I text Kim and I sent her that, that text, that scripture, God is able to perform what he's promised. So as a family, it's time that we come together and we start believing, not just for yourself, but believing for Kim. Yeah. Believing for Tracy. Believing for Cheryl and Steve. Believing for Tim and Yvonne. Believe for each other. Because when one of us is down, we need each other to come together and say, Do you know what, I know you're struggling right now. So I'm going to believe for you. And I believe everything that God says you are and who you are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. And Jesus right now has defeated the devil. So whatever his plan is against you, he has no power just to come in and do what he likes. You know that, don't you? It's called access and it's called agreement. So there's a time when we've got to step back. Let me say this. Sorry, Stace. Last night, for whatever reason, me and Stace couldn't sleep. 
And it happened the other night. Now, I'm, I'm not good with sleep, so I've already been up like 2 till 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock this morning. I don't know how I'm standing here preaching. I need a, I don't know, I need something. I'm just not good with no sleep. And I said, Stace, I think it's because we've come into agreement with something. And we've allowed a worry to come in. And I'm not a spiritualist that hugs trees. But I believe that you can release an energy because of what you believe. You can change an atmosphere because of what you believe, who you are or who you're not. You can believe in a lie the devil whispered in your ear. And because of the insecurity that you feel, you will believe in the lie more than God's promise. So if you come into a room and that mentality, you are releasing that into the atmosphere which sucks faith out. So we've got to come and say, we're coming have agreement with that lie right now. Jesus, you are victorious. You released your righteousness that defeated spiritual death on that cross. Amen? Amen. And now I'm believing you're going to perform what you promised.